Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Corbett. What a wonderful opportunity it is to be here with you and uh, to see Katie. You would not believe the change in Katie's life since coming to Kingswood. You would not recognize her if you knew her a couple years ago. Probably a lot of you don't know this, but uh, she's not what you see. Uh, when Katie was a little girl, for example, it wasn't uncommon for her to actually break her crayons and to write on the wall. Yeah, she's... Lord's brought her a long way. Uh, I think I heard her actually raise her voice once when she was a little bit frustrated. So uh, it's just exciting to see the transformation that since, uh, since coming here. So I want to thank you for how you poured into her life. All the profs, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Katie is just a gem. She's a, a sweetheart. I uh, had a chance to travel to Cuba, ministering with Katie on our youth ministry team. And I've often said, uh, Brother Gorovet, that uh, I'd return to youth ministry in a heartbeat. It's just, uh, it's a love, it's a passion, but right now I'm stuck with the adults, but uh, it's great. Uh, I'm always intimidated, though, speaking to young adults, I don't know how you guys feel. You know, I just feel so old. Uh, this gray is put in, in case you're wondering, it's not my real color. Um, I just try to look wise. But uh, when Elizabeth uh, asked me to speak on this theme, I was excited about the theme, and I've got to be honest, just immediately, as I read the invitation, there was a scripture I felt the Lord drop in my heart, so... I just thought, well, maybe I'll just try to be obedient and go with that, and we're going to look at that scripture in a couple of moments. But as was mentioned, I had the opportunity to speak, uh, to preach for, uh, the pastor in uh, St. John's, Newfoundland. We were actually youth pastors at the church where we presently are now, Glad Tidings, for a few years, went from there to St. John's, and uh, we pastored a wonderful church called the Worship Center. Well, I'd been there for about a month, and I got this phone call from a corporation called Omnifax. I don't know if you've ever heard of Omnifax. They're basically a focus group, and uh, businesses hire them to just get information from the public of what they think about them, and what the company does is they send a few of their executives, and they're sitting behind this big glass window. You don't know who they are. You don't know exactly what company is uh, actually being featured until toward the end, because what they will do is they will start conversation on different topics, different companies, trying to throw you off, as well as kind of feel out the group and where they're coming from. Well, they knew I was a pastor because they always ask, um, you know, what you do for profession and so on before they form their, their focus group. And so I'm sitting there and uh, somebody just randomly picks a topic off the table and the topic was Harvey's. And so the facilitator just happened to turn to me first and he said, he said, uh, Pastor Patterson, uh, what do you think about Harvey's? And right away I just lit up. I said, oh man, I just love Harvey's. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not into a whole lot of fast food, but when I do, Harvey's is my preference. I mean, I just love the burgers. They're grilled fresh. And I was just waxing eloquent on Harvey's hamburgers when I just kind of noticed, you know, these raised eyebrows kind of going around the table. And I didn't know quite what was going on until the next person was asked to share on Harvey's. And it ends up that Harvey's was a prominent oil company in St. John's, kind of like the Irvings. So here I am, you know, waxing eloquent on hamburgers, completely out of touch, uh, in that community with what Harvey's really represented. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I can kind of feel that way when it comes to really trying to appropriate my faith or making Christ relevant in the culture in which I live. I don't know if you feel this way, because I don't think it's just a generational thing. If we are Jesus culture people, well, we live in the midst of a culture that is without Jesus. So it, it thinks differently, its paradigm is different, the priorities are different. And one of the real challenges I find sometimes is that whatever our age or demographic may be, we can kind of feel like we're just, we're just speaking to a whole, you know, different mindset. How do you penetrate that? How do you make that bridge 
between uh, your walk with Christ, the reality of Christ, what he means to you, and maybe people who don't know Christ. Uh, I'm sure you've had uh, wonderful speakers who've been uh, speaking on this theme this, this month and have been dealing probably with uh, the relevance of, of the gospel or how to make the gospel more relevant. But I want to share with you a simple thought that maybe is a bit of a different angle um, that I hope will add to maybe the whole mosaic of what the Lord's been sharing with you under this theme. Uh, it's not my main text, but back in Acts chapter 17, you probably remember the story of the apostle Paul and the time that he went to Athens. And he went to a place called Mars Hill, which was basically where the intelligentsia, the intellects of the Greek culture, they would gather and they would just discuss issues of the day. They would discuss philosophies, worldviews, and they would invite anybody from any country, whoever they were, to come. I don't know what kind of criteria they had to maybe meet, but uh, they were given an audience to come and talk to them about whatever was the newest insight of the day. And so the Apostle Paul uh, wanders there and he's able to talk with them. And the Bible says that Paul engages these intellects of the Greek culture with the word of God. But what stands out in his counter, if you want to read uh, that chapter yourself a little bit later on, what stands out to me is not so much what Paul says, but it's what Paul doesn't say. And it really serves as the basis of what the apostle Paul would soon afterward write to the Christians who lived in the city of Corinth a little bit later on. And it's not to take anything away from Paul's sermon on Mars Hill, but there are two words that are noticeably absent in Paul's discourse on Mars Hill in front of these intelligentsia that are noticeable in his words that he writes in his letter to the Corinthians. And these two words are simply Jesus and the cross. You know, sometimes we tend to so elevate the apostles, and as we rightly should, wonderful men of God, women of God in the scriptures, but sometimes we think that they really can't do anything wrong. Or neither were they subject to the same spiritual learning curve that you and I are subject to, but I believe Paul was. And here's the proposition I want to share with us this morning. That is, in Paul's attempt to communicate the gospel to these Athenians, Paul experienced the same subtle temptation that I think all of us experience as Christians trying to communicate to our culture. And that is the temptation to become style conscious in the attempt to be relevant to his culture. And what I mean by that is I think in this passage, Paul is trying to impress and persuade his audience by talking about God the creator, lofty ideas, by talking about even the resurrection, which the Bible says he was mocked about that. But two things that are noticeably absent in his discourse is the name of Jesus Christ and also the, the death of Christ upon the cross. Now the question is, was Paul compromising his message? I don't believe Paul was. I don't think he was intentionally trying to do that. Paul loved Christ. But what I do believe is that Paul was sincerely trying to meet his audience at the level of their understanding. And yet although there were a handful of people, just a few, who came away as believers in Christ, or at least enough to engage Paul in further conversation down the road, we're told, it seems that Paul came away from Athens having learned what was probably a very painful lesson to him. And this is evidenced by the fact that when he travels to Corinth, which is where he went afterward, it's only about 50 miles away to the west, Paul goes to Corinth with a different attitude. He had learned something, I believe, in Athens, and we see that spelled out when he writes back, excuse me, to the Corinthians in chapter 2 of his first letter. Here's what Paul says. He says to the Corinthians, When I came to you, brothers... 
I did not come to you proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I determined not to know anything among you except what? Except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. In other words, completely dependent upon God and the Holy Spirit. And he says, in that attitude, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? So that unlike Athens, your faith would be in the power of God. The simple thought I want to leave with us this morning is that in our sincere attempt to live out our faith and communicate a faith that's relevant to our generation, I don't know if you feel this way, but I find it's very tempting to begin to rely upon trends. It's easy to rely upon technologies. It's easy to rely upon the things that our culture looks to as being perhaps relevant in our culture. And it's not that we can't use these things, but it's different when we rely on these things. And I think one of the sure signs that we begin to lose focus is because is when we become more preoccupied with systems and style than we are with the simple beauty of Jesus Christ and his cross and what he's done for us. I, I just so appreciate uh, just the presence of the Lord in this place here this morning, the Holy Spirit here in such a beautiful way. Uh, worship team, anytime you're free, come to Glad Tidings. We'd just love to have you for a Sunday morning. Uh, such a blessing this morning. But uh, we can kind of lose sight of what I think is the simplicity of our relationship with Christ and what our culture really needs. Paul said, I determined... I reminded myself that nothing compares to the simplicity of God's love and grace that flows from Jesus Christ. Nothing compares to the simplicity of the power that is unleashed in our lives by the Holy Spirit. It's not enticing words. It's not lofty ideas. It's evidence of the life of the God by the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because Paul really here is talking about not just something we profess to believe. He's talking about a way of life. It was mentioned that uh, I went to Laval University. It was quite an experience looking back. I must have been crazy. Uh, graduated from seminary and based on the program we had back there, it was called Flight, uh, French Language Intensive Training for Evangelism. I actually think what it meant was run away. <laughs> Go run far, far away. Because we studied French for about six months and then we were thrown into a French community preaching the word of God. And I can remember in the first several months seeing people come to Christ and basically my message every Sunday was this, Je vous aime. God loves you, <laughs> beaucoup, <laughs> or whatever, you know, that's all I could say, prions le Seigneur, you know, let's pray, that was about it, and yet seeing people come to Christ, I remember uh, one, one time this man who worked in a restaurant came to Christ, we got to know him a little bit after, we said, Luke, he said, what, what, what impacted your life, and he said, when I walked in, I saw you and the other pastor just kneeling in prayer, and that just, that just touched me, and he gave his life to Christ, and actually now he's a pastor in Quebec as well. So I'll so do some wonderful things. But I never forget when I was attending Laval University, um, one particular night it was, and I'm so glad to hear there's some students who are fasting and praying. That's, a, well, that's, that's beautiful. Um, but it was just a, a short season of fasting and prayer the Lord had called us to, those of us who were, who were studying French and lived in, a home, lived in a house together, 15 of us in one side of a duplex. That was grace. That was God. But uh, I can remember just being down in the basement just to get alone, just to have a quiet time. 
And, and just as I was worshiping the Lord, seeking the Lord, the Lord just began to lay upon my heart my classmates, about 15 of us as well, who were uh, in that class in, in, the, in the French immersion. And I could just sense the Holy Spirit as I was worshiping, just the Holy Spirit, just if you ever experience him sometimes, just like waves. And as he began to wash over and wash over, he, he just began to almost like was lifting me up in his presence. And all of a sudden, I just began to be overwhelmed with a burden and a brokenness for my classmates at Laval University. There's tens of, I think it's like 20,000 students back in those days. It was a huge, huge university. And just for, I don't know if an hour went by or two hours went by, just so lost in God and just sensing the heaviness of his heart for those students. Well, after I prayed and, you know, finished off and, and eventually went to bed, we didn't think a whole lot of it other than the fact that, wow, it was a wonderful experience, had no idea what God had in the store. The next day, we're sitting in class, and, and there's about, I guess we're all sitting around a circle. Uh, it was oral expression class, it's called. And basically what they do is they would introduce hot-button topics to get you talking. You know, they wouldn't just say, how was your day? They would say, hey, let's talk about abortion or homosexuality, whatever the case may be. They'd always pick something. But what was unique was that I'm the only Christian in the whole class. And so everybody... You know, and then it would come to me, and they just kind of go, <sighs> not that I was being argumentative, but I just had a different worldview. I just believed Jesus had some things to say about that. And so I just began to talk as much as I could. I'd only been speaking, you know, learning French for a couple months by then, so our, our conversations were very limited. But oftentimes, we'd continue the conversation after class if it was interesting. So after class, as we're walking down the hall, one of the students asked me, Paul, can you elaborate on what you were saying? And we were still all, all 12, 15 of us walking down the hall. And I'll never forget, as I began to speak, just the sense of the Holy Spirit just coming upon that group and hovering over all of us. And the interesting thing was we were walking toward the cafeteria for lunch, a huge, huge cafeteria, again, thousands of students, and we're kind of picking up people as we walk along. And by the time we finally get toward the cafeteria at the bottom of the stairs, without exaggeration, there were at least 50 or 75 people just standing there. By this time, I wasn't even talking about homosexuality. I was just talking about the love of Christ for us and, and just feeling the Holy Spirit speaking. And you could just, it was just like a cloud. It was, in fact, it was kind of comical because a couple times there was a couple of girls that were standing there and were talking and, and they're asking questions. The Lord's just pouring into them. And their, you know, their boyfriends would come along saying, come on, let's go to lunch. They'd say, no, no, leave me alone. You know, and they'd stand there or they'd bring the boyfriend in. And it just so impacted me of just the simplicity and yet the power of what the Holy Spirit can do and the relevance of Jesus Christ when he's able to use us and when we just have that simple reliance upon him. You know, I think it goes without saying that probably we all want a relationship with Christ that really is relevant to our culture. But I wonder what relevance really means. I looked it up in the dictionary. It says this, to be relevant means bearing upon or connecting with the matter in hand. Bearing upon or connected with the matter at hand. To bear upon, I think, has this idea of weight. Uh, you know, sometimes we use the expression that a person is overbearing. You know, they put too much pressure. There's too much. You just feel heavy when you're around them. Well, this idea of relevance, according to the dictionary here, has the idea of bearing upon. And so to be relevant in our faith, I believe, is simply to have a relationship with Jesus that actually carries weight in a way that makes an impression on people around us. And the way I think we make that impression, Paul says, it's not just through reliance on the cerebral, as wonderful as our intellect is, as wonderful as principles that we can learn and systems and structures, all those things that are tried and true. It's not just in the cerebral, he says, but it's with convincing proofs of God's power, of God's life flowing through your life. 
You know, I've been in ministry a number of years, and I thank the Lord. And in fact, I, I just have been so much enjoying our uh, times with Pastor Buckingham, with other pastors, uh, with uh, Pastor Buckingham's uh, uh, leadership training. Uh, we were just down here yesterday. You may uh, recognize we were the ones who got to eat in that private room, so we didn't have to mingle with you guys. Um, that, that's, that's, that's who we were, uh, just teasing. But we had some good fellowship in those rooms. Um, and I'm so thankful for just insights, just, wow, pr- tried and proven things that are of God. But I really kind of liken all those things that we learn to kind of like the, 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 the boundaries or the banks of a river that you need. I mean, if you're going to have effective ministry, you've got to have something to channel that through. You've got to know where you're going. But along with the banks of the river, what do we need? We need the river, don't we? We need the water. We need the life. We need the Spirit of God. So it's not one or the other. It really is both of those together. On the day of Pentecost, most of us are familiar with the scripture, the day the church was born. Peter said in chapter 2, he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And he says, And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Peter was basically echoing what Jesus had said in the previous chapter when he talked about the promise of the Holy Spirit. And he says, when this happens, Jesus said, he said, you will receive power. Now, in the Greek language, as most of you are probably aware, the word power or dunamis basically is talking about the simplicity of God giving you and me the ability. That's what power is. It's not necessarily goosebumps or, you know, how much you can shout and jump, whatever the case may be. Uh, It's about ability that God gives you to be what you could never be on your own. To be everything he's made you to be. That fullness of life that Jesus promised. He says, I will give you the Holy Spirit, and he will give you the ability to be that. And he'll also give you the ability to do things that you could never do on your own. You know why I believe Jesus wants every single one of us to be filled with the Holy Spirit? To be baptized with the Holy Spirit, whatever uh, term you want to use. I believe it's very simple, but it's for this reason. Jesus wants you and me to be personally exposed to an experience with God that is so undeniably supernatural that it becomes natural to believe for the miraculous. I just believe it's that simple. I thank the Lord for everything he teaches us. But he wants us to understand, he gives us understanding, but the power for that understanding to come to life is in a relationship with him and that encounter with him. He wants us to expect Jesus to demonstrate his life through us. Um, I I didn't only live in Newfoundland, I, I, I married a Newfoundland woman. I'm just like double blessed. My two boys were born in Newfoundland. I'm the only non-Newfoundlander in my household. I'm just kind of a Newfoundlander wannabe, they call them. There's two kinds of people in the world, two types of people, those who are Newfoundlanders and those who wish they were. That's what they say. But uh, my brother-in-law, his name is Guy. Anybody here named Guy? Anybody? Good. What a dumb name. <laughs> can, can you imagine? All the names in the world. It's a boy. What are you going to call him? What's well, it's a guy. You know, why not just call him boy? Any case, his name is Guy. And uh, Guy's a teacher, a brilliant, brilliant man. Him and his wife are both teachers, professionals. And about a dozen years ago, uh, Guy went with his church to the nation of Senegal, West Africa, to the city of Dakar on a church trip. They were just going there to do a bit of work, to help out in the local work there. And God just got a hold of his heart. They had their whole Freedom 55 planned out, their pensions. They were doing great financially. And God just got a hold of his heart and said, I want you to come here. Guy said, I'm just a teacher. What can I do? I want you to come here. I've got a work for you to do. In any case, when they got there, they had met another pastor of a different denomination, a wonderful brother, loved the Lord, very sincere. He and his wife had been there for about 20 years by then. 
And Guy asked me, said, what means are you using to reach this community, to penetrate this community, this, this nation, because it's a Muslim country, okay? It's Muslim. What are you doing? And the man said, well, basically what we've been doing is for the last 20 years, we have been contextualizing the gospel or contextualizing Jesus. He said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, we don't necessarily talk about Jesus as much. We talk about the gospel and the Messiah, but you see the Muslim people, they can relate more to our Old Testament, to Abraham, the patriarchs, even though they twist the story a little bit. And so what we do is that we use the genealogies and we use the, you know, the heritage and all these, you know, people from the Old Testament that point toward the Messiah. Uh, we use that as the means of kind of communicating the good news to them. And guys say, well, how's that been working for you? He says, well, we have about three converts in 20 years. Now, mind you, it's, it's, it's slugging, okay? It's hard work where they're ministering. When Guy was ready to go, he had a very much a real sense of, Lord, I need to move beyond just how I've always known you. I, I need to encounter you, as we mentioned earlier, in just a real personal way. And he's out jogging one day before they're ready to pack up and go to Senegal, and he just, just goes over to the side of the road, and he sits on this big rock, and he just says, Lord, if, if I don't know you in a personal way, if I don't encounter you, I've got nothing to give these people. And he said, I just began to sit on that rock. I just began to worship God. And he said, the Holy Spirit washed over me over and over and over. And he said, I don't know how long I was on that rock. I was just worshiping God. And I was just overwhelmed by his presence. Guy and his wife, Jane, have been there about 14 years now. They, they have 15,000 children they minister to every single week in their Bible clubs. They've built two deaf schools. They've built five public schools. All of these are tended by Muslims and Muslim children who are coming to Christ. They've built several churches. All of them have hundreds of people in the churches. Why? Because Guy was convinced that the way to penetrate this culture that I can't even begin to relate to, this Muslim culture, is very simply, as Paul says, it's not with enticing words. It's with a demonstration of the Spirit of God and of the power of God. He said, Lord, unless I have that, I don't want to go. And the Lord's been doing some exciting things and it's still going strong. I mentioned earlier, but I, I just, I've, one of the things I've really gleaned from my time with Pastor Buckingham has just been uh, wonderful relationships uh, with your profs. Uh, President Gorvet, he's a gem. Brother, you gotta come speak at Glad Tidings before you go. It's, it's an official invitation. Uh, Professor Smith as well. Uh, was, and I, I don't have a chance to meet, I assume, your lovely wife? Oh, good. <laughs> you got to be careful what you say <laughs> when you got a microphone. Um, anyway, that reminds me of embarrassing. <laughs> that reminds me of embarrassing stories. I'm not going to get into that. But uh, they just ministered so powerfully. Our, our married couple, they're still talking. They say we need to get in. We need to get in. Uh, we need to get in the Smiths back, and and we're going to. Uh, we're looking at some different topics, seminars as well, but it's just been a blessing, Liz, and, and I know her husband as well, and there's, there's so many others here, but uh, I just really hope you appreciate, and I'm sure you do, the example of spirit-filled living that you witness every day here at Kingswood through these people, and, and I really, I, without a doubt, I know their passion, their heart's desire is that you just know and walk in the fullness of the Spirit and His joy that He wants to bring to your life, and just, I mean, the Holy Spirit's oil for a reason. You know why? Because He just eliminates that grind of ministry. When you got oil in between all those joints and all the mechanics of ministry, there's just a flow, there's just a fruitfulness that you just can't make happen on your own. And, and I'm just so thankful the Lord's made that available to us. I want to show you a video before I close with one more story. 
And I came across this on YouTube a few months ago. I shared it with my congregation on a different topic. But it really is just a very practical example of the difference that Holy Spirit fullness, if we will depend on him on a daily basis just to be refreshed, to be touched, to be refilled of what the Lord can do through our life. It's a video of a young man. He's probably in his mid-20s, I think he says. And uh, is a young man who not only believes in Jesus, but because of his simple love for Christ and dependence on the Holy Spirit and the gifts the Holy Spirit gives us, he actually, his life is a bridge for Jesus to touch people that don't know him. Now, his profession, as a, his profession is that of a renderer. And I just want to explain that for a second. You'll probably pick it up, but uh, I don't know if this is in South Africa, New Zealand, or Australia, somewhere in there by the accent. But a renderer, as you may know, is just basically someone who does renovations, someone who does plastering, painting, that kind of stuff. That's his profession. So we're just going to show you this clip, and I think it was mentioned that at at the end of it, we can just cut that off because there's stuff after, but we can just cut it off at the end of the story. And I want you to take a look at this, and we'll wrap up. Average Christians measure themselves by other Christians. A normal Christian imitates Christ. Radical Christianity is normal Christianity. This is the normal Christian life. So we've just been hanging out with Nathaniel. Um, I got me and my son here, Levi, and we've just been walking around his property here. As we were walking, Aaron saw the renderers working next door. Straight away, he began naming things he felt they needed prayer for. I felt like one guy's got carpal tunnel in his wrist and um, also like a smashed knee from years and years ago, like a motor accident. The best way to know if you're hearing God's heart for someone is to ask them. So we just decided we'll go check it out. So we're going to go and deliver those words to these guys and see if God's going to bust open some opportunities for us to pray for them and love on them. So God purposely pulled us out of our day to go and love these people, man. So it's just a real and a real honor for what's about to happen and, and what's about to break out. It's going to be amazing. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Every person's yearning to return to the arms of the loving father. Or in Levi's words... Oh, How you going, guys? Man, I just saw some of your render work. Hey, I used to be a renderer. We were coming down to see if any of you guys had some pain in your bodies. I was, yeah. On our bodies? Yeah, pain in your bodies. I feel like one of you guys actually has carpal tunnel. If you want to walk on water, you have to step out of the boat. Your wrist? Oh, definitely. Yeah? Yeah, I've got carpal tunnel. Man, can I pray for that? It'll take three seconds, man. Yeah? Fix it. Yeah, totally healed, man. Jesus wants to radically heal every part of pain, make it go away, and totally heal it. What do you say? You sure, man? Yeah, I'm pretty busy. I'm in the middle of a wall. Yeah, yeah, I can see that, dude. When people don't receive prayer, it's often because they don't know what to expect. Sometimes they just need a bit of clarification. All he'll do, bro, is just put his hand on you like that while you're doing it. That's it. Yeah. Take a second. Is that all right, man, if I don't slow you down? No, yeah, won't slow Go for it, bro. Cool, man. Every bit of pain, I command you to leave, and I speak healing in Jesus' name, complete healing. You have pain in it just before, didn't you? I've got a tingly feeling there. Come on, man. Isn't <laughs> that crazy, bro? That is crazy. Yeah, I felt like um, one of you guys actually had like a motorbike accident or a car accident years ago and busted your knee. That's you, Brent. Huh? That's you. You busted your knee years ago, man, and it's never really quite come good. That's your right crazy, knee. Man. He was just saying that. That is <laughs> can, I, can I pray for your knee? Yeah. 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 <laughs> come on. Right. Complete wholeness. Ha. Try that out, man. Give it a bet. I'll go. I'll know later on. 
Yeah? Can you test now at all? Just give it a move, see how it feels. Still sore. We're not Still sore. <laughs> all right. If people don't get healed the first time, don't be afraid to pray again. Even Jesus prayed for the blind man twice. Hey, brother, can I, can I pray for your knee one last time before I let you go? Get into it? Father, I just thank you for your healing power to be released over this man, God. Come on, man. The other man was lost for words when he realized his wrist felt different. His knee, his wrist is. <laughs> come on, come, come on, on, man. Let's just pray one more time. It's going to totally get good, bro. Watch yeah, this. brother, come on. Go right come on. <laughs> God, I just thank you that you're going to release fire over this wrist right now, God. You're healing fire. Huh. I want to play football next year. Come yeah, on, man. come God, on, come on. <laughs> you know his heart, God. You know his heart. So, Father, we just thank you right now. You're going to pour out your love on this wrist. Yeah, Complete man. healing in Jesus' name. Yeah. yeah, move it around. I've got that click even going. Serious. Yeah, no, it is feeling better. Come, come on, on. Come no, on, man. Way. That's just going to keep increasing, man. Well, I believe it. Woo! <laughs> yeah, come on. Many don't share Jesus with workmates for fear of being ridiculed. Paul says, I am unashamed of the gospel of Christ. Here is Aaron the renderer sharing with fellow tradies. Instead of ridiculing him, they make him an offer. Doesn't matter if, if you're 55 and you're taking care of grandkids or, or you're, you're 24 like I am and you're taking care of, of, of your son. You know, wherever you're at, man, this thing is so easy. So get out there and just love people, man, because God's going to open up all the doors that you're looking for. So how many think this guy's faith was relevant? Yeah? I think so. I think relevance simply is being able to connect people's needs with Jesus. That simple. It's just that willingness to do that. So that your faith, as Paul says, is not just in your head, but is deeply rooted in their experience with God. It's not only our faith, but isn't it wonderful when you see someone come to Christ and they've actually encountered Jesus Christ and their life has changed, they're in love with him. I was speaking to somebody who ministers uh, to the Chinese church, the underground church, and he was saying where he was ministering, they have a tradition whereby when a person comes to Christ, that new convert actually goes away with an elder in the church for a few days where they do nothing but fast and pray until that person actually has a vision of Christ until they actually see Jesus Christ. Why? Because they know if we can get it past their head to the point that they meet Jesus, they can stand on their own and no one can take away what they've experienced in the Lord. I hope this doesn't sound wrong in me saying this, but after many, many years of ministry, I'm so, I've always been a builder. I've always been a connector in the kingdom. I just met, it doesn't matter what denomination. If we love Jesus, that's all that matters. You know, we have some different tweaks of theology and stuff like that. But I can honestly say in my ministry, there's one thing I've learned, it is this. I am not as concerned about being doctrinally correct as I am about being spiritually alive. That's my heart's desire. Lord, I'm glad to learn and tweak and learn from brothers and sisters and things we pour in together like yesterday around the table. But Lord, more than anything, I want to be alive to you. I thought it was really interesting with this guy's story. Did you notice that first when he came up and began to talk, he just began to step out of the boat and say, hey, you know, God loves you, wants to do this. What do they do? They just kind of flipped him off. Ah, uh, you're kind of crazy. But as he pursued, because he knew what God had told him to do and he knew God's love for these men, he knew, how am I going to touch these guys? They don't have time to talk. It's not going to be through just a long conversation to see who wins the argument. It's going to be through them experience a touch of the reality of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. And wasn't it interesting? Within five minutes, hey, you want to work with us? 
<laughs> you want to come? You know, want, to, want, to, want a job? Why? Because I believe with all my heart, people like being around people who know Jesus. And not just who know him, but who love like him, who care with him. Can I close with one last story? I don't want to assume on your, on your time this morning. A few months ago, I got this random email. Uh, I didn't know who was a guy or a woman, a guy or a girl. It's just an email that said, do you believe in deliverance ministry? And so I just emailed back and said, yeah, if we can help, please give me a call. And so they, they emailed a couple more times and finally worked up the courage and ended up being a, a woman for 35 years of age. And, uh, and she said, can I come see you? And so she came to see me. She was so heavy, dark, just, just, just defeated, you could tell, just weighed down. And in the conversation, uh, I learned that she had, for the last 10 years, been very involved in the New Age religion, Reiki, and she had actually given herself to that demonic entity, and she was demonized. Uh, everything about her was just darkness. You could just tell heaviness. And, and she said, can you help me? And I said, Jesus can. And I said, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen, and I'm going to pray with you. And I brought another staff person and a lady. I said, we're going to pray with you. And I said, you're going to feel turmoil going on. You're going to feel, you know, manifesting. I said, don't worry about that. Jesus is here. And so as we began to pray with her, of course, she began to manifest and the demonic and such. And we just continued to pray and love on her. And within a matter of moments, Jesus has completely set her free. What's really neat, though, is this. That's cool enough, but this is really neat. She's in church on Sunday. Uh, we kind of have three sections. because She's over here. And this lady calls me from the church. One of our elders has been in the church for a number of years. She said, Pastor Paul, she said, did you notice such and such a lady? I said, yeah. I didn't go into detail, but I said, yeah. I met her this week, and she gave her heart to the Lord. She said, Pastor, you have no idea who she is. I said, oh, yeah. I said, you know, and I, she said, no, Pastor, you have no idea. I work for the government. I've worked with this lady for 15 years. She has made work hell, <laughs> literally hell. And I said, oh, you know, is she hard to get along with? No, no, Pastor, you, you still don't get it. She is so bad, because you work in the government, you usually can't get rid of them, you know, kind of thing. No, no, you know, don't mean to speak disparagingly of the government, but uh, you're just locked in kind of thing. She said, she made the work environment so intolerable that our supervisor actually uh, was in the office, couldn't deal with her. This lady got transferred, this lady we'd prayed with, got transferred for a couple months to another department to do a special work. When the supervisor heard that she was going to come back rather than just stay there, the, supervi the supervisor retired five years early. That's how bad it was. And I said, well, how is it now? She said, the transformation is unbelievable. Nobody can believe what has happened to this woman. That's not cool. There's something even more. When I finished praying with her, I said, hey, you know, we'd love to connect with you, help you grow in the Lord. I said, where do you live? She gave me her address. She's my neighbor. <laughs> she lives two doors down. They had just moved in that week. Usually we take a pizza or something over. We didn't get a chance with the schedule. And she said, that's where I live. I said, you're my neighbor. And now she's involved in my alpha group. She's grown in the Lord. And it's just, it's just been a really, a really beautiful story. You know, if there's one thing I've learned after 30 years of ministry, 45 years of walking with the Lord, if I could leave you with this, it is this. And you can ask Katie, this is true. I don't have a lot of style. I don't have a whole lot of class. But you know what? I'm not interested in getting any. And I want to encourage you here this morning, whatever you think is important of style or status or all those kind of things that our culture uses, that's not important. The most important thing is that you know and that you love Jesus Christ and that you minister out of the simplicity of what you receive from him and what he wants to give through you. That's all ministry is. It's just the overflow of what Jesus is pouring into you. I could go on. But I'm going to ask if we could maybe just stand for a moment.
and I'm going to ask, is it Nick? Bless you, Nick. It's going to lead us in a song, and I'm going to ask Nick to maybe close in prayer. But as he sings this song, and thank you, worship team, for such beautiful worship. That was just so beautifully set the stage. Can I invite you this, this morning, just wherever you are, that you would just open your heart to just a fresh dimension of the Holy Spirit's reality or your dependence on him in your life and just the sweetness of Jesus that he wants you to know. And I know many of you already experienced that, but if you're like me, every single day, I just need a fresh, fresh enough, a touch-up. I just need to remind it, Lord, it's not in eloquence. It's in the demonstration of your Holy Spirit and your power that really anything that lasts forever is going to be accomplished. Amen. God bless you.